Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. And today we're being joined again by a friend of the show, Stephen Singular. And today we're going to concentrate on his newest work. It's, I want to say, a historical fiction novel in the cards. And this is where a handful of people tried to stop voter meddling when it started and warned the nation and the media about what could possibly happen next. However, as the name implies, that wasn't in the cards, but something else was. Stephen, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me back. Good to be here. Well, we're honored to have you back. I mean, every time you come on, you bring something new, something, you know, wow, you know? So, so tell us a little bit about yourself first before we dive into in the cards. Well, I'm a journalist uh, and author who lives in Denver. I've lived in Denver for about the past 35 years or so. Have written uh, 22 nonfiction books, many of them about high-profile crimes. Uh, two of them have been New York Times bestsellers. Anybody interested in the other books can go to stephensingular.com. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-I-N-G-U-L-A-R.com. And this time around, with this new book, In the Cards, available on Amazon Kindle, I decided to combine uh, some fiction, some factual research that I had done over many years with the fictional form of writing. And that opens up a few things. You can explore more characters in depth. You can uh, use certain dramatic techniques that you really can't use in fiction. 
And so I put the two together, and it was kind of an experiment for me in, in writing. I, I wanted to talk about what I think is a really hidden, buried piece of American history, which was the 2000 election in Florida, and what may have really happened down there, which we never got any clarity on at all in, through our entire media uh, circus that sort of surrounded that at the time. I was involved in investigating certain things at that time in the aftermath of that election, and I have long wanted to write about that. I, I wrote some things about it, sort of put it aside, did it again, put it aside, and then when Donald Trump was elected, in November of 2016, I thought this is the time to really pick this up and go back into it and expand it from what it has been by using some of these sectional techniques or dramatizing it in certain ways. And when you do that, in a way, you have a chance to get more readers because you can throw in things like sex, you can throw in things like drugs, you know, you can you can throw in things to get people maybe to turn the pages a little bit faster, which you which yeah. wasn't really a part of the nonfiction story. So I just decided to do something new at at this ripe old age. Oh well, you had did, me at sex, did, but uh, did it did it also though? Um, sorry, Kevin, but I just had to ask this question. Did it also allow you the freedom to come up with your own conclusions that you could promote as fiction in the book? Yes, some, to to some degree, that, that's a really good question, and that and that's true. You know, I I could, um, I, I think that you know, there's been this incredible focus with the Robert Mueller investigation of the Trump administration and that election, on sort of what I consider to be the minutia of of the case. In other words, did, did Jared Kushner go to a hotel and meet with a Russian? What did they talk about? And I think. To me, that's all sort of obvious that 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 you know that Trump, the Trump people, or whatever, did interact with the Russians. We sort of know that from everything we know. But to me, the deeper question from all of that is is what's happened to our election system? You know, if if any if anybody could manipulate it within the United States, which is one of the suggestions in this in this novel in the cards. Uh, well, what about people outside the United States, given that most voting now is done through computerized systems? And so while I think that some of the Mueller stuff is important and we'll see where it leads and all of that, the real deeper question for me and the real impetus in writing the book was if, if our election system isn't safe, our democracy isn't safe, and let's pull back and look at sort of the origins of that story, the roots of that story, where did this begin and how did we get here? How is it possible that every single poll that I saw and probably you saw in the run-up to the 2016 election was dead wrong? How That is telling, I mean, polls are pretty accurate things and have been in our voting system for a long time. So once that happened, I wasn't that interested in who won the election, who lost the election, but when polls go wrong, that starts to tell you something deeper. And that's kind of what was behind this story. Mm. Now, uh, Steve, I've I, I got to kind of disagree. Um, well, I was going to, too. Actually. Yeah. I <laughs> mean, right. let's, let's look at it this way. And, and this is the way I, Evan, as an average Joe, this is how I saw it. You know, who's doing the polls? You know, the, your, your large networks and, and, you know, 
you're pulling corporations who may be in the pocket for one candidate. And maybe they're looking, you know, they have that bias, you know, that, that confirmation bias. And then they're surprised when the silent majority suddenly votes and bam, oh my God, we were wrong the whole time. You know, how do you account for that? Well, I think that's a very valid point. I don't, I don't necessarily. And uh, what I wrote, there's, it's another aspect of the polling, so we can talk about that, which is more directly relevant to what I was writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I know of this is that you know Hillary Clinton didn't go to Wisconsin because there was no need to go to Wisconsin because she was going to win Wisconsin, and every polling report out of Wisconsin said. Don't bother coming here. Go somewhere else. Yeah, and all of that day. was all of that was wrong. So you know, I I'm not an expert on polling. That's not again what what I'm really writing about here. If you want to go back to the sort of origins of this particular piece of writing, it is all based upon exit polls that were that were conducted in Florida after the 2000 election, which is not the same as polling, you know, ahead of, ahead of the voting. If we go back to that time, if we go back to November 7th of 2000, uh, Gore versus Bush, and you look at the exit polls that were coming out of Florida, which was the key state in all of the voting, it had 25 electoral votes that were going to go one way or the other and determine the next president of the United States. The exit polls clearly said that Al Gore was the winner, and the network people came on and they made that announcement, Peter Jennings in particular of ABC Television, mm-hmm. and he said, you know, Gore's the whatever it was, 42nd, 43rd president of the United States, and then an hour later or so, he had to come back on and say, wait a minute, we don't know who the winner is, we don't know what happened, something is amiss here. And then, of course, it was total chaos. A few hours after that, the, the Fox people, led by a, a Bush relative named John Ellis, came on and said, George W. Bush is the next president of the United States. But as all of us old enough to remember, it was a chaotic time. Um, you, there was no real clarity about what had happened with the voting or who the winner was. And ultimately, the Supreme Court on December 12th, 2000 decided that uh, that Bush was the winner by a vote of five to four. So my uh, motivation, actually as a journalist at the time, was to look into something that was neglected in almost all of the arguing or debating or lawyering that was going on. If you remember what the arguments were around the voting problems, it was, A, this happened in minority areas, and those people don't know how to vote. You know, they'd always known how to vote uh, before. Yeah, no until this time. For some reason, they don't know how to vote in 2000. That was one argument. It was all the The other argument was, was based upon the machines, which were mostly called votomatic machines. The hanging chairs. And so there was a lot of talk about did the machines malfunction? Were they not working properly? But what people weren't looking at were the cards themselves, the voter punch cards that were at the very heart of the conflict. We all remember the iconic images of the hanging sheds on yes. the cards 
and the people looking at them with bug eyes to see, was it punched out, was it not punched out, who did they vote for, et cetera, et cetera. So that became the focus, sort of a neglected thing. What about the cards? Well, you know, I was so there. Was, uh, I was there starting, that was the starting place for all of this. Yeah, I, I was there during the election, and I did vote, and it, it, you did have to poke the hole in the card. And you sometimes, like with any kind of punch card, you had to do a pretty good job of it. Uh, and, yeah, there was a lot of talk over the hanging Chad thing. Also, over the exit polls, because they were saying a lot of people may very well have voted the way they did and then lied about it in the exit poll because they were too embarrassed to say it or for some reason didn't want to do it, as some they say they did with Trump in the last election. Uh, uh, yes, and, and let me amend that real quick, Rob. I mean, you make a really good point that I was getting ready to say. Um, in in the recent election, you had so many violent groups out there that if you were a Trump voter, you were likely to get your head clocked. So, you know, as you walked out of an exit poll, and of course, you know, you got a mic thrown in your face. Well, who did you vote for? Uh, 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 Hillary, because I fear violence. You know, th this was a great Dewey defeats Truman moment. I don't know. Yeah. Do you think that's the case? I mean, do you think that's what's made them lie about who they voted for? And, and how would that figure into your story? Are you you're asking me? Yes, yes Steve. Go ahead. Well, no, I mean, I, I don't, I see it for, in different terms because exit polling is not a, it's not a public event. I mean, it's not something you, you know, generally speaking, there aren't, cameras and people watching that sort of thing. I mean, you know, you might have a camera here or there across the United States, but it's a private, it's a largely a private matter. So would people lie about it? That's, that's possible. But I don't, I don't think that's, you know, what happened in Florida. I mean, the whole thrust of the book was to go look at the cards and where did they come from and how are they made and is that process open to manipulation and if it was, how would that work? And so the journalist in the story, which is not myself, but a sort of compilation of people, which is often true in fiction, sort of undertakes that investigative journey, you know, to, to look at the thing that's not really being looked at. He, he stumbles into it because he knows somebody who's an engineer who lives in Florida and who invites him down. I mean, he has no overriding interest in the subject. The election's over. He's just watching it on television like everybody else. And this engineer says, you know, why don't you come down here? Because I, I, I'm an engineer. I know how things are manufactured. I know how things are made. And he, you know, very reluctantly says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take a look. He goes down. They're able to actually get a hold of some of the cards, not the cards that were used and voted on in the election per se, but cards from the same manufacturing batch that came out of exactly the same um, time and place. And so some preliminary tests are run on those cards and certain things begin to be uncovered. And Jimmy, who's the protagonist of the story, quickly decides that this is, you know, this is way too big of a thing for him. I mean, there are parallels here. He's, always kind of looking over his shoulder at the Watergate scandal. You know, he's old enough to 
know about it and have been sort of shaped by it as a journalist. And he's often thought, you know, I'd like to do something, you know, big like that. Most journalists, if you scratch the surface, they would tell you the same thing. Of course, they'd like to be involved in a big story. But he has just stumbled into this. He didn't go looking for it, but it sort of came to him and found him. And now he feels like he needs some institution, institutional journalistic support, which was the key thing behind Watergate. For those who may not remember or not old enough to remember, but it wasn't two journalists who did Watergate, as we sort of think of Woodward and Bernstein. It was the institution of the Washington Post standing behind them, when things got tough, it really saw it, saw it through to the end. It's 25 years later, or no, it's 20, yeah, it's about 25 years later, and one of the things that Jimmy will sort of stumble into in the next part of the story is that the world of journalism has changed somewhat, and he's, he's not part of a large organization, and he can't find that kind of institutional backing, to really help him move this thing forward. He goes to a, a network. Uh, astute readers will sort of be able to look through, the, through this and see who maybe I'm talking about in the book and get some support. And there's this feeling that, that maybe they can actually get to the bottom of this, they can figure out what happened, and it can have an impact because if the voting system can be manipulated, uh, we need to know about that. That's something that's in the public interest. And the whole sort of drama of the of the novel, and this is this is dramatized, just so you understand, is that you know the network sort of does a, a push pull dance with him. Yeah, we're going to do the story. Uh, we're not going to do the story. We need more information. Blah blah blah. The kind of thing that goes on in the journalistic world a lot. Exactly. And ultimately. You know, he it, it it he's not able to push this through. I'm reducing the story to real simplicity, but you know that's the real sort of core of of the story. And and I think it I think it feeds into a lot of uh, even the kind of programming in a sense that that you all have done or that you've done with me, where I've had a chance to talk more about some very prominent American criminals stories that not that you don't necessarily get in the mainstream media. It's very, very, very limited in what is actually broadcast. But there are a number of people, I think, doing a lot better work and sort of putting on people like myself, authors who've studied these subjects for years and might have a different take on it and all of that. So that's a lot of of explanation, but that's really, these are really the themes of what the book is about and and what maybe gets lost along the way in all of that. What's the uh, main purpose of your book, would you say? Is it meant to be a warning? Is it just meant to... Uh, um, yeah, it's meant to be a warning. Yeah. It's meant to be a warning, and it's meant, it's meant to show some of the inner workings of, of corporate journalism and the difficulties of, in a sense, getting people to do unpopular stories because it's all built on money, as most of us know. And it, so if you have an alternative, a genuinely alternative view about anything, it's, it's fairly hard.
hard to get it out there. Uh, much of the investigative journalism being done today, this is not so true now around the Trump issue. It's changed a little bit since November of 2016, but it's being done by individuals. Whereas you had the great investigative reporting of the New York Times in the 60s and 70s and the Washington Post and some other major newspapers, that is one of the themes of the book. But you know, the biggest theme is that you need to have some form of secure voting system, and if you don't have that, it, it kind of undermines uh, you know the whole idea that you're living in a democracy and that your vote's actually going to count for something. And because this particular story, this part of this story, was never publicized, it, it came right up to the edge of sort of breaking through uh, on either television or some of the major newspapers, but that didn't happen. And, and so to me, it was kind of a lost piece of American history. And this was a way to sort of get it out there without, you know, <clears throat> there are certain legal issues that I didn't want to tangle with and there's some other things. And so this was a way to sort of, you know, get that story into the public domain. You know, I was going to ask you that, Steve, is, you know, I, I'm now I personally don't know what your political standing is. However, was, you know, I was going to ask, is this a way for you to kind of make people aware of where you are under the auspices of fiction, you know, to make people really think was, you know, have our last elections really been fair? Well, I I think you can make the case very strongly that three of the last five presidential elections are questionable is the softest word I can use. You know, you could say illegitimate. That's going a few steps further. But if you look at 2000, where in, if you take one county in Florida, which was, let's say, Broward County, heavily Democratic, there were 6,600 ballots thrown out because of what are called undervotes, which meant that, that for some reason, and you can read the book to understand this better, the chads were punched out and then they went back in their holes. And so it looks as if the, the punch, <clears throat> the voter didn't vote for anybody. That's called an undervote. There were other examples where a number of chads came out, and so it, you can't interpret that either. That's called an overvote. So if we just isolate one aspect of the undervotes in Broward County in November 2000, that's 6,600 votes that were tossed aside. There were lots of other votes tossed aside, more in Miami-Dade, which is more heavily minority, and that's, a, that's another part of the book. But, you know, George Bush ended up winning by 274 votes when the when the counting was stopped Man, by the Supreme so Court. So so you can you can bend the numbers as you want, but three times the numbers of cards were thrown out in the minority districts in Miami Dade. This is the reporting of the Miami Herald, this is not me, than in the other areas of the state. That translates into tens of thousands of votes that didn't count. So you have that election then in two thousand four you go to Ohio, which was the key state. John Kerry was ahead going into Ohio until about 11 p.m. 
the system went down. The, the, by now, most voting in the United States was being done through computers, electronic voting. When the system came back up, he was behind. Nobody knew exactly what happened, but Bush ended up winning Ohio, and that's that. So I, I wasn't writing it as a partisan. I, I was, and then you have 2016 with whatever happened with all of that. So that's three out of the last five. Uh, and well, yeah, uh, yeah, but let me ask you one thing. Uh, Wait. It's not new that uh, there's been corrupt elections. That one reason the secret ballot was introduced was because people would stand there and look over your shoulder and make sure you voted for who they wanted you to vote for. You lost your job or you'd get beaten up. This was common in New York City around the turn of the century, that sort of thing. So do you think it's fundamentally different now, more dangerous than it has been? Because Well, it's fundamentally different if, if you are capable through computerized voting to sit in another country and manipulate software. Now, the, the Mueller investigation has not gone that far, but who knows where we're going, what we're actually going to learn about this. I mean, I think that, I think that opens it up to a whole other level of manipulation. So, well, Steve, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a totally, it's a totally different level of magnitude now. Right, right. And also, and, do you think it's a conspiracy by one particular group, different groups? I mean, what you're talking about is corruption in different places. If it is corruption, and I think it sounds like it is, uh, with regard to elections in different counties, different states around the country. So, do you think? One group is doing this, manipulating it. Or do I, I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think it's the overridingly important point. I think if we're that vulnerable to manipulation, to tampering, to all of those things, then that then that becomes a real problem. And I don't. I, I, I'm just. I'm mystified by the things that happened in 2016. And I'll, and and I'll I'll tell you what I mean by that. You know, I mean there's so much emphasis that's on you know, Trump and the Trump administration and, and the Russians and all of that stuff. But from what we, from what we, I think, understand currently is that the major intelligence agencies within the United States in the summer of 2016, FBI, uh, other, other organizations, they knew what the Russians were doing. I mean, they knew, and they told this to the Obama administration and here's my point about the polls, and and I'm I believe, and I can only speculate, but in other words, four months before the voting, they had very good intelligence that that the whole system was being tampered with, and for some reason they didn't tell us they didn't, and I think the reason was is because the Obama's administration, the outgoing people didn't want to make waves, and it, it was their absolute conviction that in spite of all of this, Hillary would win. And I think that's very, very naive, and I think they didn't learn anything from what happened in the 2000 election, and that's my point in writing the book. That if, if, if you don't learn something from this, if, you, if the media is not going to give you the story, if you can't get to the bottom of it, and you're relying on a handful of, you know, independent investigative journalists. There are other people who wrote very well about that election. You know, then you're vulnerable. Then, then anything can happen. And that, that to me was the whole purpose in writing the book. 
I, I, well, I, I, uh, I see, not to belabor, belabor a point, but doesn't it help to know who's doing it in order to know where the holes are in the system so you can plug them? Well, sure. I mean, but, but if you read the book, you will know who's doing it. You will understand at a real fundamental level who and what were doing things then. Yeah. Now, I'm not and why they were doing it. Yes, you will understand all of that. It's, it's laid out in great detail, far beyond anything that was ever reported on at that time. And, you know, the, the coverage was exhaustive. I mean, it was all over the news for about a month and a half, but it never got below, really below the surface into what actually happened with those cards. That's why the book is called In the Cards, What Was in the Cards, What Had Been Done with Them, how was it done, and what was the end result? So, you know, that process is quite easy for a lay person to understand. When it gets to computerized voting and hacking, I don't know anything about that. I mean, I don't think most of us know anything about that. So that that's just a way of saying that we become more vulnerable, not less. And... That, again, I'm 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 a writer, you know. I'm trying to get people to think. I'm trying to get sort of past the, the headlines. <laughs> yeah. You know, Trump said this today in the White House, and everybody's mad about it. I that, I'm not. That's not my interest. No. I'm I'm interested in if if this thing is this fragile, when do, when do we start to become aware of that, and what can we do about it? That to me is is you know, worth, worth focusing on. And that's what, I was, that's what I'm trying to do in writing this book. There's a lot of noise around this, but, you know, you got to have some signal, too. Well, uh, I mean, so you think we're more vulnerable switching to the computer system, and yet it was the hanging chad sort of thing that was such a big deal in that one election. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, for me, you know, in my background, I've I've always seen that there's been political corruption with elections. It's, it seems dead people voting in some cases, yes. uh, not many, but, and, and so, I mean, it seems like. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash boast. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All systems are vulnerable and nothing's perfect, but... All you can do is try to make it as best as you can. Oh, does your book give us any? Was, was it an issue? Was it was it an issue in any other previous election in your lifetime? Uh, no, not the dead people, but it it was an issue. No, I'm not talking about dead people. I'm talking about the outcome. Go to 1984. Let's say Reagan's running. You know, mm-hmm. go to 1980. Let's say it's Reagan and Carter. Was it an issue? Was it an issue in in '72? And you know, I mean, Watergate aside, was the actual voting an issue? Was it an issue in 1996 when Bill Clinton ran against Bob Dole? Well, no, because the elections weren't nearly so close. I think that's part of it. But I, I, what I wanted to know was, in your book, I mean, do, do your characters come up with any sort of conclusion as to how the system might be improved, or any kind of safeguards that would make natural sense? That, that's that's not really what the book is about. I mean, again, I'm, you know, when you write books like this about which are effectively sort of about criminal situations but of a different nature than someone murdering somebody, you're really writing a cautionary tale. You're you're really, I mean, that's it's. I can't personally fix America's voting system, but I can. I think through writing like this, tell people some things about it that they don't know. One of the American weaknesses, I think, is, is, is naivety and a kind of enforced innocence. That can't happen here. That can't happen to us. You know, we're protected from that sort of thing. That's what you always hear when, you know, there's another school shooting. Well, that couldn't happen here, but it did, you know, and over and over again, and if you might come away from the, the protagonist of the novel loses his naivety in the course of, of the book. He thinks if you have the right facts at the right time, get with the right people in the right way, you're going to have a good outcome. And I'm suggesting that it's a little more complicated than that, and, and, and that we're all involved in this in certain ways, 
And all you can do as a writer is try and sort of raise that awareness. I mean, right. uh, it's not it, my it, job it, to it, provide it solutions. Say, it was a it is a cautionary tale, and and they are terribly important. And and being a sci-fi writer, I write those too in the form of dystopias, what can go wrong and what the end results can be. Mm -hmm. uh, and often I don't um, add what one can do about it. But actually, cautionary tales in themselves are a way of avoiding a particular future, I think, don't you? Yes. Yeah, I mean, that that's like the most I felt, you know, I could do was to try to show a little piece of history that got buried, and there are consequences for that. There are very real consequences for not having clarity around an around an event like that. And, and you, you know, think that, I, and you think that part of the problem, Steve, is that people are are sort of provincial; they just don't think that this sort of thing is possible in the American system. Is that? Oh no, no. I mean, well, I, you know, I'm, as an American voter, I I don't mean to jump in here, but I got to jump in here. We know. Absolutely, at this point, you know, given the last few elections, we know that it's absolutely possible, but I don't think that we know what to do about it. We know that the system is corrupt, but we feel that it's beyond us to actually fix it. Like, like I was going to add in a little bit ago, we know that the dead voted. We know. But why hasn't anything been done about that? Well, actually, from what I've read, election results, there's been very little um, uh, in the form of, um, of fake voting and that sort of thing, that it's so minuscule as not to be important. Steve, what do you say about that? Well, I think, I think you can make a case that, that we don't really know what happened in the 2016 election. And we, we don't know, so... To me, that that's a fairly important thing. I mean, you talk about you know naivety and, and and all of that. Explain to me why the highest intelligence agency in the United States would not bother to tell us what was going on in the summer of 2016. I mean, this is this is absolutely documented. Last week's New Yorker magazine, March 12, 2018. An exhaustive article by a woman named Jane Mayer, probably 15,000 words long, documents it piece by piece, blow by blow, how this got to the FBI, what they decided to do with it, how it went to the White House. Well, well, who, are these people, who are these people working for? I mean, who, who, when do we, as the public, have the right to know? You well, know, that's, what, that's a good point, but I was going to say, they don't normally comment on ongoing investigations. I would assume that might be part of the reason, but yes, we do have a right to know, hopefully before the election, but I mean, uh, there's a trade-off there, don't you think? I mean, couldn't it sabotage the ongoing investigation if they laid all their cards out for the public because those who are doing it would also then be aware that they were under scrutiny? Well, it's 16 months later and you don't have anything, you know. It's 16 months, I think it is now. Wouldn't that be right, March 20th or whatever it was, March 8th? Yeah, 20 months. Well, we don't – what do we know now? I mean, I mean, I just I'm, – I'm one of those people who believes in, you know, information, you know, free flow of information, blah, blah, blah. And 
I, I think it would have affected a number of, you know, three days before the election, James Comey comes out and says, well, we're looking at these Hillary Clinton emails, whatever. Why didn't you tell us what else you were looking at? You know, I, I just don't, I, I, I find it mystifying that in the aftermath of it, you know, we can all wring our hands and stomp our feet. But I think we sort of have the right to know. And, you know, this the book is just its just one piece of a focus on this entire issue. And it's trying to get people to think about it and maybe think about it in a different way. And maybe think about it as a participatory citizen, you know, in, in their country. So, I mean, that, that's about the most you can do when you write something. And, and would you go further? I mean, would you do another fiction book? Well, yeah. I mean, I, 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 there are certain things about it that are fun to write. You know, as I, you said you write dystopian novels. I think is what you said. So, yes. I mean, I, uh, you know, the, in the story itself, the, the purpose was to get this information to a major media outlet. And provide that information to the to the population of the United States, and and then maybe somebody would have figured out a better way to do this and answer some of the questions that you're raising here. That, that I mean, in the story, you, what you learn is that there are a lot of vested interests that keep things like that from happening, and that's another part of the story. But I mean, that was you know now in writing it, it's trying to you know get people to get the book out there, get it get people to read it and get them to think about it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would like to be able to use this form of writing. I think fiction, in a way, is, is somewhat more appealing to people than nonfiction and, you know, engage the imagination and maybe reach more readers through that means. Well, um, would you use the same protagonist? Hmm? Would, would you use the same protagonist in, in your next novel? And um, exactly what I, I is, don't. Who is he? Yes, exactly. Barney. What's that? Who is the protagonist in this? Because the protagonist you know, is, yes, is a journalist. Is, is an independent. Is an independent journalist. Oh, and, no. and and would you that? have him in your next book? I mean, would you just carry on where you kind of left off? I I, mean, I don't I don't think so. I mean, I don't I don't think that would be. Uh, probably the thing to do. I mean, I, I, it's not the way I'm thinking about it. But it was a way to, I mean, I think when you write, you try to, you know, use some aspect of your own experience and to put it in some sort of larger context. Now, I'm not interested in writing about myself, but I am interested in writing about the state of journalism in 2016 or 2017 or 18 and how a journalist sort of interacts with all of that, how it's changed. I mean, again, I'm, I'm thinking in historical terms. Go back to Watergate. You know, you had a daily newspaper, the Washington Post. You had two guys reporting on this, right? I mean, they were digging for factual information of the most minute kind. Who wrote a check here? Who got the money? Whose phone number is there? Where does this person live? Let's go talk to him. I mean, this is street-level journalism at the most basic level for anybody who's ever done this kind of work. What do we have today? We have CNN, MSNBC, at least, and usually Fox, analyzing this stuff 24 hours a day. I mean, it's a, it's a radical change. And, there, and I almost would suggest that the greater the coverage, the less you end up knowing. 
because none of that is really journalism. It's not really fact-finding. It's not, these are the things I'm writing about. I mean, these are the things that I've interacted with in my writing career. These are the changes I've seen in the culture. And you just have hour after hour after hour of analyzing what somebody said that day. And to me, it's it's sort of comic. It's sort of a, a comedy because it's, you don't, you don't really, you know, get down to, to the nitty-gritty, which for somebody like me, as a journalist for 45 years, that's what I'm really interested in. You know, what, what did the Russians actually do in the 2016 election? That's what I want to know. Can you manipulate software sitting in Moscow in the state of Ohio? I think you can. Can you get rid of that software after you've done it? That's a really good question. That's what I would like to know. Did the, what about these kinds of activities that directly could impact our election system? The protagonist in the book goes to the major media people and says, what if this happens again? And they say, it will never happen again. It's once in a lifetime. He says, well, what if some other group in the United States does it? And they say, that won't ever happen. And then he goes so far as to say, well, what if someone outside the United States tried to do this? And they laugh him out of the room. Well, maybe, maybe he wasn't totally wrong. So, I mean, we're, these are not the questions that I see people talking about round the clock on the media. They're talking about sort of their personal animosity against this person or that person, or they don't like this person. That's not serving the interests of the United States, in my opinion, at all. Creating no. a better voting system, in my that's my emphasis in writing the book. Well, it's a scary subject. I think some part of the problem is some people want to shy away from it. They just don't want to imagine that our system could be so easily corrupted. Um, but it, it does seem to be very weak in some respects, doesn't it? Well, yeah, and the, the point is that we don't really have those answers yet. I mean, that, that, that's the investigation that I would like to see done, you know. I, as, I, I as think we all. I, yeah, I, and that's the point. I think we all know that, you know, money changed hands and with the Russians and all of that. I don't think that's big news. I mean, I think that probably goes on with all parties at all times and all of that. You know, I'm not worked up about that, but I am worked up about the other thing. I think that's that's the important part. And it's nonpartisan. It, it, any, if anybody can manipulate it, then we're all vulnerable. I'm not I'm not pushing a, a political party around this. So, you know, that's that's the point of the whole point of the book in the cards. You know, what was in the cards. And and what would have happened, you know, fiction is about the imagination. What would have happened if the reporter had gotten the network to do the story that would have put this information out there? What would the impact have been? And, you know, that you that's a story you can only play out in your imagination because opportunities come up. Especially in a field like journalism, there's there's that moment where something can really happen, and it happens or it doesn't. And this is one of those situations where it didn't happen. And so, you know, to me, that that was the whole, you know, purpose in exploring this subject. Well, would you? I know that you're not trying to 
tell people what they can do to make the system safer. But how about extrapolating for us? Do you see democracy, not just here, but abroad and around the world, as an extreme danger and it's getting more dangerous for it? Or do you see us at some point maybe ponying up and coming to some kind of uh, rallying to stop this sort of thing? What, what do you think well, I, I think that I think that there's I think there's an impetus again. The more that we sort of know about it, you know, the better decisions we can make. Again, that's the purpose in, in writing about this. Uh, but I think I think the 2016 election, regardless of how you feel about it, has been kind of a wake up call on all kinds of levels. And 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 I think in a general sense that's good. Uh, it, you know, it, it's it's interesting that we're seeing all these sort of ground movements kind of rise up. Whether it's the kids who are out of school marching today about gun violence or Me Too or all of those things. I mean, they're all and what they, what do they all really add up to? They all add up to one thing, and that is, I'm a member of this society. You know, my participation should count, but nobody's going to do a damn thing for me if I don't do it for myself, if I don't become educated, if I don't, you know, take a stand, if I don't do something as a form of active participation. That's what every single one of these things is about. Am I a victim or am I a participant? You know, and and finally you have a bunch of kids saying, hey, I'm the one getting shot. Maybe I ought to do something about this. And this is this this is the same thing. I'm the one voting, regardless of who you're voting for, and I have the right for my vote to count if I'm going to participate. And you know that's that, that's a long, complicated, difficult process that, as you both say, is full of holes. It's never mm-hmm. been perfect, but there's no election in my lifetime resembling anything like up until 2000. Where it goes totally haywire, and 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 all I'm saying to you here is, we have the right to know more about what happened, and just moving on and saying, well, it doesn't really matter. I mean, the journalist, and the story goes from one network to another, one newspaper to another, one magazine to another. This is a few months after the election, and they all say the same thing: it's a dead story, Jimmy. Nobody cares. Yes. It's done. Go it's over. I, I am a firm a, believer. I'm a firm believer of what you just said, Steve. Um, nothing to see here. Go back to sleep. Go back to sleep. But but don't you yeah. think that might be the public too? I mean, the public seems to have an incredibly short attention span. No, that's true. Just wore out. Well, no, that's well, true. Now, I mean, but, I, I'm sorry, it, go ahead, Steve. No, it's true. I mean, all of these things, they're not mission exclusive. You know, they're all true. Yes, the public has been asleep. Journalism has been asleep. I mean, the whole culture has sort of been asleep for however long a period of time you want to name it. And all of these things are wake-up calls. They're all like, hey, I'm not powerless. You know, I I can stand up and use my voice. I I may be 15 years old, but I can speak out. Somebody's going to pay attention. That's the whole point in writing the book and trying to get it out there. We just, we gloss this over, and the world of journalism, the world I'm a part of, is, is guilty as sin. You know, it starts there. And and maybe, you know, we, we needed to learn something from that. So, you know, and in addition to all of the, 
things that we're talking about, which are important issues. The book is a, I, I, I think, based upon some of the feedback, I mean, I think it's a sort of an entertaining read. So it's not this dry, dull, <laughs> let's debate the, the election system. There are characters, there's, you know, romance, there's sex, there's all of that stuff. And, I, I mean, I tried to make it very readable so that, someone would want to actually go through a book with these important issues in it. And that's something you can do in fiction. So I hope that people pick it up, that it would also be an enjoyable read in addition to maybe learning something from it. Well, Steve, without ruining the end of the book, can you give us kind of a glimpse? How does this end? How does this end for your main character? Well, he... You know, every many, many great stories, great books, plays, whatever, they're, they're usually about one thing or they're often about one thing, and that's sort of the individual going against society. You know, the in, for, in whatever way, shape, or form, there's, you know, they, that individual comes up against something that's too big of an obstacle to get through or they do get through it or whatever, but that's a standard storytelling thing. This character cannot get through. He he can't break sort of through the wall of silence and it ends up costing him very dearly personally. And, you know, the, there are journalistic stories like this where people try to do something that's maybe bigger than they can do and they end up self-destructing or whatever. Uh, this story has some of those elements, but then a lot of time passes basically from, in real times, from like 2004, basically to the present. And things start to change. And some of what he was saying and looking into and doing have now become much more feasible things in the world of journalism and even in the public. And if you've ever been ahead of the curve on anything, <laughs> anything at all, the you've had some sort of experience like that. People don't want to listen. They don't want to pay attention. The problem hasn't gotten big enough for them to look at. And then at some point it actually does, and people start to pay attention, and change starts to happen. And and this is that kind of story. And the end of it is, is pretty positive because, you know, people are starting to ask the right questions and take action and recognize their own sort of, role in the in the world that they're living in so i i think and in one sense it's sort of it's sort of tragic not totally tragic but somewhat and on the other hand it's very helpful so again i think it's i think it's a good story apart from you know whatever else you might get out of it well how can people uh buy this book. I mean, from what we've talked about today, this is an extremely important book given today's, um, I don't want to say society, but I mean, everything in the news is talking about what you wrote about. That's, that's why I wrote it. As I said, I, I started writing it in 2001 and I put it aside. The timing was perfect. And, and it finally, it's like, this is the time that maybe people will look and start to read this where they can kind of see how it might you know, affect them in some way oh, or at least become important. And so the book, the book at this point, 
only exists on one platform, and that's Amazon Kindle. $4.99, you know, it's not expensive. Uh, but that's the platform it's on. I may go ahead and publish it in, in, in actual soft cover form at some point. This, is, I'm, this book has just come out in the last three or four weeks. It's just the beginning of this. It's, it's my uh, creation, you know, in terms of both writing it and publishing it. And I would hope that, that people would give it a chance. I mean, it's like a lot of writing. If you're writers, you understand. You know, if, you, if, if people start to read it, they start to engage with it in a whole different way. We're talking about it abstractly. But this is a story with a lot of emotion in it, a lot of feeling in it, and I would hope a lot of thinking in it. So, you know, if, if you give it a chance, I think you'll see you know, what I was trying to do here. So Amazon Kindle, it's called In the Cards by Stephen Singular, uh, $4.99. I think it's a pretty good deal. Very affordable. And, and you know, let me say this, and, and I'm not kissing butt because we have nothing to gain by this. I mean, this interview in the last, and I'm looking at the timer, in the last 50 minutes, has made so much more sense than 16 years worth of news stories about election tampering and Russian collusion and what have you. Stephen, this has made so much more sense to us. Well, that's great. That that's that's why you know I reached out to Al. Al has again. I, I'm I'm making a bigger point here. Al. And the House of Mystery and a few other outlets have provided the, the opportunities and the platforms for people who aren't necessarily working in the mainstream to have a real chance to talk about what they consider to be important subjects and issues and books and going below the surface and getting beyond, you know, some CNN talking head saying, this is what happened today. That there are bigger issues in play here. There are bigger things in play, and we're all a part of it, regardless of what we believe, who we voted for, or the rest of it. You know, finding that common ground, finding that common sense, common ground is what we should be doing as Americans. And that this is my little, you know, little effort in that direction. So I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. You guys have asked really good questions, questions I haven't been asked before for the most part. And then, you know, I have to think more about it. I have to see what, what I really, you know, believe about all this. So to me, that's a great, you know, that that's what I want to see the media do. I don't want to see the thing rehashed for the 5,000th time that day. I want to get beyond that. And so I appreciate the work you're doing. Well, I, for one, would like to see you do it in print because that would expand your audience. And, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of people like those print books. And it also gets yeah. to libraries and things that way as well. And it, your book does make people think. And I think that's mostly what we have to get people doing, start thinking again. Start, you know, instead of reacting, acting. Yes. And to do right. that, they have to be informed, you know? Absolutely. Yes, you're right. Get, you know, wake up. Yeah, you know, take yeah. take the red pill, <laughs> please. Wake yeah. Up. yeah, it's a wake up call. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Well, everybody, we've been joined by Stephen Singular, and the book that we've been talking about, if you haven't been paying attention, is in the cards. And you know, long before the Robert Mueller investigation, 
you know, we believe or Stephen believes that the Russians may have possibly hacked the 2016 presidential election. But this goes way back. What really sent the 2000 election in Florida into chaos? And how did that change the course of history while setting the stage for everything that to, is happening in the news today? Well, you're going to have to get the book to find out. And Stephen, how can people reach you if um, they want to contact yes. you personally? Yes, uh, thank you. That's uh, stephensingular.com. Let me spell it. Most people misspell my first name. Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, singular, S-I-N-G-U-L-A-R, stephensingular.com, the website. All the books are there. I'd love to hear from people. Agree, disagree, none of that matters. You know, just the interaction is what's important. The thinking is what's important, critical thinking. So, you know, you can hit me on that, and that would be great. You're such a sensitive topic nowadays, isn't it? It is, but yeah. it's one that needs to be said, don't you think? I mean, I do. I, people Absolutely. have got questions. Uh, not you know we've gotten over Watergate. We just don't think it's a big deal anymore. And then something like this happens, and it takes someone like Stephen to do a wake-up call. Otherwise, people just don't buy. It seems like. Absolutely. Well, I guess well, Rob, today we're taking the red pill. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, double dose. Well, Stephen, thank you, thank you so much, Stephen, for being on the show with us today, and I hope oh, to have you back again very, very soon. All right. Well, thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it, too. All right. To find out more about our show, guests, or listen to a previous show, visit our website at www.somethingweirdmedia.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you. If you're lying to me. I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well... This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.